Welcome to this Reformation and Revival video. Today, I'm sitting with my friend and uh, fellow pastor, Pastor Toby Sumter, Pastor King's Cross in Moscow, Idaho. And we want to talk about how to preach like a Narnian. Um, when I thought of talking to you about preaching, Toby, this title came to mind. So I feel like if, <laughs> if, I, if I know a man who preaches like a Narnian, wow. I think it's you. Wow. Yeah. So um, well, that's, that's wonderful since... You just told me a second ago that's what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so just, you didn't know this, but uh, just flow out. <laughs> but I did. So let's say, um, how long have you been preaching? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I started preaching probably. I did a few messages. Two thousand, maybe my first one in two thousand four or two thousand five. So, and then started preaching regularly in two thousand six. Right. Um, so coming up on 20, you know, probably eight, 17, 18 years, 19 years. So, um, you know, you're not exactly new to this. Um, and while we might not be like really gray head guys, we've at least been preaching for a good while. Yeah. And I was thinking if we had every seminarian, um, if we had every seminarian's ear, yeah. Or if you're not in seminary, if there's a young guy that's saying, I'm sensitive to call to ministry, yeah. I want to get into this. Um, <clears throat> how would we encourage um, these men to preach like Narnians? Okay. And I would actually, so I, I have a few tenets in mind, okay. first of which is post-millennialism. Okay. So you're a post-millennialist and a preacher. Yeah. What, um, what is post-millennialism in a nutshell, and how does it impact season your preaching? Postmillennialism is the is the eschatological um, view that uh, basically says that um, that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus proclaimed in history uh, will uh, ultimately uh, be efficacious in converting the world to Christ. That over the history of the world. Um, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he must reign until all of his enemies have been put beneath his feet and the last enemy will be death itself. Um, or as the Old Testament says, um, you know, the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Um, so it's believing those promises, um, not in a um, humanistic or naturalistic or social gospel sort of way, but through particularly the preaching of the gospel that men, women, children will be changed be regenerated and that over time um the promise that god made to abraham that in his seed all the families of the earth will be blessed in fact is going to be fulfilled um through the preaching of the gospel and uh the leaven's going to work through the whole loaf the tiny little seed's going to grow up into a big tree um so that's that's post-millennialism mm -hmm. and there was another question well how does it impact preaching? just to spell that out a little bit more but like jesus jesus um speaks of binding up the strong man so that we might plunder his house, right. or he says, "Now will the God of this world be cast out?" Right. So um, the idea would be, um, while the devil still has influence, while they, while we still um, do wage war against rulers and authorities in heavenly places, there's a sense in which the uh, with the death and resurrection of Christ, right. there's an actual binding up right. of of the enemy, right. such that <clears throat> we're winning. The Christian right. church is winning right. now. Right. Revelation twelve says that um, the accuser of the brethren has been cast down to the earth. Um, and we now overcome him through um, uh, our, our testimony. 
Uh, so yeah, there's a, there's been a cosmological change to the nature of the universe. And, um, while we still battle the world, the flesh and the devil, the devil's been cast down. Um, he's been dealt a fatal blow. Um, mm -hmm. first John says that the son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. And so with that, um, and with the ascended Christ at the right hand of the father and the spirit being poured out, we're promised great gospel success. Mm -hmm. Now, I imagine if people listen to that, <clears throat> laymen are processing it, um, it does seem inevitable that <clears throat> that's going to change the way a man preaches. Yeah. I mean, in one sense, I mean, part of me wants to say, well, but if you, I mean, if just to be a gospel preacher, there's a sense in which I want to say, like, everybody's kind of a closet post mill. <laughs> Everyone believes Jesus rose from the dead. You can believe Jesus rose from yeah, the dead I and mean, say, I'm a historic prevalent. Yeah, right. But you already <clears throat> believe that something radical changed about the world. Like you, like mm -hmm. a, a, a man walked out of a grave 2,000 years ago and he lives forever. Like that's that, the world's different. Mm -hmm. um, and then you believe that if you, when you preach that message to sinners, um, that God um, raises sinners from the dead. He gives them the gift of faith. He, they're born again. I mean, that's, that's post-mill, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. or sometimes I describe even, um, like post-millennialism is basically the doctrine of sanctification applied to history. Mm -hmm. So you, if you're reformed, you're Calvinistic, you believe that he who begins a good work in anyone will complete it. Jesus always gets his man, right? Mm -hmm. if, if he goes after somebody, he's going to get them and he's going to haul them all the way into the boat. There, you know, um, uh, if you've been justified, you will be glorified. Um, and so in a similar, so in one sense, I want to say, man, if, if you believe the power of the gospel, if, you, if, if you're not ashamed, like Paul says, mm -hmm. uh, because it's the power of, of God unto salvation, I mean, you're already like, got, you know, you're leaning in, you're, yeah. you're, you know, it just, just come all the way in. It's warm in here. But, but, but I would say, I think that impacts your preaching in the sense that, um, it's a, um, it's a cosmic gospel. So, so what you were talking about before, just in terms of like Christ is ascended, he's at the right hand of the Father, the devil's cast down, the devil's been bound, um, he's being plundered. Um, I mean, the world's a different place. That's a that's a cosmic gospel. That's a that's a huge gospel. Um, this world is a different place. Um, and um and Christ is reigning until all of his enemies are put beneath his feet. Those enemies include cancer, those enemies include uh, communism. Those enemies include, um, you know, all, all the brokenness and dysfunction of our world. Um, that's a, that's a, um, you know, that's not just Jesus in my heart as mm -hmm. glorious as that is. Mm -hmm. That's, that's Jesus King of the world. That's <clears throat> Jesus King of every detail. Yeah. I wonder if they, um, you know, can these dry bones live? It's mm -hmm. a question. Yeah. And, the post-millennialist guy, um, and and I to your point earlier, I take optimistic amillennialists. I'll take I'll take historic pre-millennialists who just seem to really think that Jesus is reigning and winning. I'll take all of you. Like, so you don't like have, Spurgeon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't have to be like a check all the boxes post-millennialist yeah, here yeah. preach like a Narnian, but yeah. you do have to have this going on. I, can these dry bones live? The, what I'm looking for is a guy that's like yes. 
and God has done that before, and God has a habit of doing that, right. and I'm expecting to. I'm right. expecting that. Right. I'm in the pulpit preaching right. and saying right. I'm expecting dry bones to live, meaning straight right. conversion, and I'm expecting sanctification to happen. I don't. And there, there's another guy that goes, "Well, yes, Lord. I mean, the dry bones can live, right. but I mean, right." I'm not expecting it. Right. It's so, a, it doesn't happen very often. Right. It doesn't it, happen. It's pretty, pretty rare. It's possible, but this is going to be a long shot. I heard about it happening one time. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I right. think the, what, it, what, I'm, what I think, if you're going to do the preach like a Narnian thing, one right. of the things you have to say is, uh, we're in the new covenant. Like, right. kingdom of heaven's at hand. Right. Um, devil's bound. Right. And I'm, I'm anticipating, expecting right. in the preaching of the word to just see fruit explode everywhere. Right. Yeah, no, it's, I, I think, yeah, I mean, Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. It, the problem isn't that we have, you know, uh, this is a Jim Wilson um, line, um, but, you know, the, Jim would always say that Jesus says that the problem isn't that uh, people don't want to come into the kingdom. The problem, is, the problem is there's not enough people in the church that will let them in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's an honorary post-millennial too. Yeah. Uh, he knows, he knows now, yeah. uh, no, but, but that's, I mean, that's the, that's the image Jesus gives. Jesus says that the, the harvest is plentiful. It's the workers that are few. Yep. When, when Jesus calls the disciples in Luke, um, he says that he's going to make them fishers of men. And, and literally he says that you will catch men alive. And so the image is, it's like, it's like in evangelism. Um, all the sin, all the people out, uh, that need to be saved are like dead fish in, in the ocean. And our job is to, is we haul them in and as they come in, they come alive. And, um, and, and he says, you know, there's plenty of fish. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we, we just need to get, we just need to have men who believe that as they're preaching, that as they're preaching, that God has ordained this to save men alive. So hallmark number one, yeah, if post- you're going to preach like an Arnian, yeah, something post-millennial-ish. Yeah. Um, and if guys are listening and maybe they're just the farthest thing from thinking post-millennialism's right, that's all right. We just woo you in with this, um, the triumph of Christ, uh, the resurrection of Christ, the, you know, we're post-Pentecost. Take some of these things that you already know and believe yeah. and say, I'm really expecting to see great, great fruit from the preaching. Right. Second would be <clears throat> um, supernaturalism yeah. over, over against naturalism. Okay. And I think in Lewis, he talks about naturalism in his book, Miracles. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, he says, actually, we're dealing with a hangover. He says, it's like a hangover. We're all, all of our naturalistic assumptions come flooding back in upon us as soon as we're not vigilant. I mean, he just wants mm-hmm. this. I, I recently was teaching at NSA and told all the, um, told all the students, you just need to read the Chronicles of Narnia once a year. <laughs> That's how you remain vigilant. Yeah. The Again. Bible and Chronicles yeah. of Narnia. <laughs> once you just keep it on rotation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, or else you'll banish Narnia from your soul kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. So um, what is this supernaturalism yeah. uh, about, this enchanted world about, yeah. and how does it impact preaching? I think fundamentally we're talking about um, that this world is not impersonal. It's fundamentally personal. It's the spoken word of the creator God who is personal. He's the height of all personality, tri-personal as, as a triune God, um, more personal than we even know. Um, and he spoke this world into existence by his word. That word is Jesus Christ, um, through the spirit. Um, 
and he upholds all things by the power of his word. Jesus personally upholds every atom of the universe. And, um, and so that both establishes the natural order and its predictability and, you know, scientific laws and, and so forth. Um, you, we can do science because it's upheld by his word, but it also means that it's far more than merely what you can put under a microscope. It's, I mean, and, and any honest scientist will tell you that, you know, <laughs> but what, why do we say, you know, electrons spin around a tiny little nucleus? <laughs> no, nobody knows. Because? <laughs> because the angels, <laughs> you know, we, we, the fairies, we don't know. Uh-huh. Um, but all through, the, all through the Bible, we're presented with a Narnian world. I mean, what, what Lewis is describing in Narnia, the world that he describes there is a caricature of the real world. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's maybe, it's the real world um, with, with supernatural, it's supernatural elements sort of in concentrate so that you don't miss it, which is what good authors do, um, good caricaturists do. But just read your Bible. God spoke the world into existence in six days. Miraculous. Um, there was a massive worldwide flood and a guy and his family rode through it on a giant boat um, full of every kind of animal. <laughs> and he survived. Um, uh, you know, we, we, we live in the world where a man, an old man with a stick, you know, threw a stick down and it turned into a serpent and it swallowed the, the other, you know, what was that? What kind of world is that? Mm-hmm. The magicians could mim- mimic the first few plagues, could never reverse them, but could always make it worse, mm-hmm. you know, including the frogs. Um, what kind of world is that? Um, it's a world in which Egyptian gods were real. And God triumphed over them, as he said. They were, they were real demons. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that same old man with a stick, having completely decimated the greatest empire in the world, led a couple million people um, through the sea with giant walls on either side. And then they collapsed on the Egyptian army, dead on the seashore the next morning. Mm-hmm. Um, we live in a world in which donkeys sometimes talk. Right? Mm-hmm. We live in a world um, uh, full of angels and stars that are apparently associated with angels because the stars came down and fought against Sisera in Judges 5. Um, We live in a world where axe heads can float sometimes, you know, once Mm -hmm. in a while. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, where, you know, uh, bathing in a certain dirty stream can heal leprosy. Um, We we live in a world where a man rode a chariot of fire into heaven directly. Mm -hmm. Um, And, of course, fundamentally, we live in a world in which um, a man turned water into wine, walked on water, fed multitudes with a boy's sack lunch, and then, having been crucified for the sins of his people, rose from the dead, and then ascended into heaven and sent his spirit, sent his spirit to fill men and women. And after he sends his spirit, yeah. then the world gets really boring, and it's nothing like that Old Testament, right? That's yeah. a, that's, a way, that's, a, that's no. our that's our no. naturalistic no. assumptions coming back yeah. in. Is that we yeah. think, yeah. well, there's that, there's that Lewis hangover, right? Wouldn't that be cool to live in that world? No, no, no. no. he you, bored. You you're post Pentecost. Yeah, you live in that world. It's more it's enchanted. More it's more enchanted now. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Spurge- and, and re- read and sorry, to interrupt. No, but, no. I mean, re- read your missionary biographies. Read, read your, um, your, your, your church history. Uh-huh. I mean, just, I mean, it's, it's all there. Right. If you have eyes to see, 
and, and, and the application here for the preachers is not to be like, okay, we're going to go Church of God style and bring out the snake box <laughs> next Sunday because right. Pastor Toby, yeah. Pastor Jared said right. this thing's we're going to do some. That's not it. Right. Um, but it is to do what Spurgeon did, like when he took at each step up to his pulpit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Right. I right. believe in right. the Holy Spirit. Right. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Or it would be great to etch into the corner of your, you know, your pulpit. Aslan is on the move. Yeah. Like you, you have you you're going into the pulpit to preach before. The saints, and you're seeing all of the problems. Like you see the you see the marriages that are on the rocks. Right. Uh, you see the teenager that seems to be heading into the far country. You see all of you see all of the trouble. But you you have to go believing. Right. This is the world we live in, and right. this is the time when God comes to deal with His people right. and and um, make people alive. Right. I'm I'm uh, I'm actually starting a new sermon series this Sunday. It'll be maybe after this when this video comes out, but um, on Acts. And, um, and the, you know, people frequently talk about how, you know, well, it's called the acts of the apostles, but, you know, probably we should call it the acts of the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit driving it all. But of course, in the opening line, Luke says, um, it's the acts of Jesus. You know, my former treatise, so Theophilus, uh, mm -hmm. was all about what Jesus began to do and teach, implying that here's volume two mm -hmm. of all that Jesus continues to do through his spirit. But the, I love the title, though, Acts, everything that Jesus did. The book of Acts is probably one of the greatest adventure stories in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And it's got shipwrecks. It's got snake bites. It's got mobs. It's got middle-of-the-night baptisms. It's got jailbreaks. I mean, it, it's got, you know, um, it, it's got all the, the best stuff. Yeah. I'm on a John Buchan kick right now. Have you ever read John Buchan? Mm. Oh, great. Great Presbyterian novelist. Oh, from the that sounds fun. Turn of the early 1900s through World War One. He basically came up with the modern spy novel. He's the he's the he's the, the father of the spy father novel. basically of the modern spy adventure novel. Okay. Um, anyways, it, but he's, I'm so I'm reading that and then I'm starting Acts, which is from the Lord. Uh -huh. <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't uh -huh. plan that at all. I was like. Oh my goodness. Oh, that's what this is. Axe is the original spot. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, he got it from Axe. But but yeah, exactly what we're talking about. But what happens when the spirit comes upon people? Right? They get accused of being drunk uh -huh. because they're so full of the spirit, because they're so full of the, the of the life of Jesus, and it drives them forward to act and speak like Jesus, which is the greatest adventure in the world. Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, that's I mean. Obedience. One of the great, um, the great lies that we've bought is that obedience is boring. Obedience is the greatest adventure. O obedience to Jesus is the greatest adventure. Uh, because it, it, when you obey, you really you get you understand Narnia. Yeah. yeah, but you have to obey. Like you have to go through the door yeah. Yeah. to understand yeah. Narnia. Yeah. So Jesus says, "He who obeys is the one who will know the doctrine." Yep, it comes. Yep. it comes in the wake. Right. So you obey, and all of a sudden, more things open up. Yep. and right. then you obey again, yeah. and you're like, "Whoa!" Right. Yeah, more things open up. Right. It, it's it's total adventure. Exactly, and that's and so the um, so I think you're you're the the way that this applies to preaching is, of course, we proclaim Christ. We proclaim the gospel, we proclaim the word, and we proclaim um, God's life um, in making the world and now remaking the world when we tried to make it boring, which is what sin is. Sin is just boring. It's lifeless. It's going back to the grave. It's going back to dust. But in him is life. Um, 
And so, and, and so what we're doing though, is we're, we're inviting the people of God through the word of God, um, to live like Narnians because, you know, if anything, and Lewis would certainly agree, this world is actually even better than Narnia. Mm -hmm. Narnia is just a little caricature of the real world. Um, and, uh, and if we will obey him, we'll be putting ourselves in, into that position where, um, we're following Jesus and Jesus, we're taking up crosses. We're following him. And Jesus is, he's, he's the most adventurous. Right. We're, we're the boring ones. Yeah. And I think the modern, maybe the modern evangelical conception, modern Christians in America conception is, um, that Narnia is a place that we'll go to when we die. Right. And we're just in England. Yeah. <laughs> we're to, it's yeah. like, no, no, no. Yeah. That's the, yeah. that's. And this is where you need to grab Chesterton because Chesterton is the one, you know, he's, he tells the story, one of his favorite stories to tell. And he told in a few different versions and for a few different places was, you know, that he wants to live his life like, um, that, 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 uh, Brit who decided to, you know, sail in, into, in, you know, uh, the seas to find some great new world and having sailed night and day for many days, comes upon an amazing land and comes comes onto the land and lo it's england <laughs> like and it's the it's the most glorious land and it's and it's um and, and it's 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 sort of like the problem is is that we have um in our sins we've grown old and boring and and what we need is we need to be born again and become young again and i mean this is what jesus says if you want to enter the kingdom you've got to come as children and part of what that is that's part of is talking about being born again, regeneration, but it's also giving, getting new eyes where, you know, look, you know, take a note from your kids. You know, everything's amazing to your kids. Mm -hmm. You know, look at this, dad, look at this, mom, look at this. This is amazing. And, and that's what we need is we need new eyes from, from the Lord that allow us to see the magic in the world, the supernatural in the world. Why, why do these things do these things? We have no idea. I mean, we can kind of study it and explain it, but it's because Jesus says for it to do it. It's because it's the personal work of God, um, and um, and it's and it's His childlike joy that's running the universe. And so we want to give our people that a taste of you know, no eye has seen, no ear has heard yet what God has prepared for us. But it's it's here. Like He made this world for us to um, to take dominion of to to to. Um, run into the, the adventure has been given back mm -hmm. um uh in jesus so that's the second tenet preaching like a narnian supernaturalism yeah. over against naturalism um a third is uh when you preach like a narnian you're preaching to narnians right so to be to be a narnian is to be a thing there are the narnians over against the the non-narnians yeah. um <clears throat> which uh, implies something more than just the individual. So you can get in the pulpit and you think about all the individuals that are there and that you need to do that. That's right. You're dealing with individuals. Think, don't forget the widow in the pulpit. Don't forget the young child in the pulpit. Mm -hmm. Don't forget the wayward husband in the pulpit. Remember the, the particular persons and their particular sins. Right. But there's something else going on uh, that needs to go on in, in the preacher's mind and heart is, oh, but I'm also... I'm also preaching to the Narnians right. over against the non-Narnians. Yeah. So uh, spell that out a little bit and how that uh, yeah. seasons you're preaching. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, part uh, you know, the, it comes out in a, in a few different ways. Um, one would be just recognizing, yes, there's all these individuals, but all these individuals are related. And we, we are constantly, we're impacting one another. Um, and the, the church is a body. 
And so we, you can't say, as Paul says, you can't say, I don't need you or you don't mm -hmm. affect me. You know, too bad. <laughs> you, we do. Um, we, we are constantly affecting one another. We are constantly impacting one another because we're in the body of Christ. Um, and there's weaknesses and there's strengths and there's, you know, shameful parts and honorable parts and all the rest of it. That's part of being in the body. Um, but then there's also all the natural relationships you were talking about, you know, husbands, wives, children. And there's, and so that's part of it too, is how they're naturally related in the natural relations. And then you've got, you know, Paul just works his way through all those natural relations, you know, master, slave, magistrates, citizens, um, children, parents, wives, husbands. So, I mean, that's should be our model. That's, mm -hmm. all, that's all connected. But then I think more broadly, um, it, you know, I think one of the most striking things that um, Lewis um, models uh, in Narnia um, are, are, is the virtue of loyalty. Um, and, um, and loyal. And, and so there's this, you know, there's always in all the stories, there's some kind of threat to the Narnian way, to the Narnian kingdom, to the, um, and, and so, and there's always, a, there's various, um, you know, he knows in the real world, even those who are on the side of Narnia, not all Narnians are real Narnians. Um, and there's, so there's threats on the outside and there's the threats on the inside. And so there's always a, a kind of, um, sifting going on while being loyal ultimately to Aslan. Um, and, and so I think, um, the way I think about that though, would be to say, um, so, so fundamentally our loyalty is to Jesus, fundamentally our loyalty is to him and recognize that there's always, there's people on the outside, um, who hate it. There's people on the outside who are being drawn to it. And then there's people on the inside, um, who love it and are loyal and are, are, you know, true Narnians. And there are people on the inside who aren't true Narnians and, um, and you got to keep your eyes open. Um, but then I would say then because of our loyalty to the King, because of our loyalty to Jesus, then we also want to be loyal to his people, his true people and loyal to the people that he's assigned us to in our various natural relations, parents uh, to children, children to parents, husband, wife, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, business relationships, master slave, um, and then in uh, political relationships, mm -hmm. um, he sets us in those relationships and he wants us to order our loves, order our loyalties in obedience uh, to him. But I think, I think the, that, um, uh, loyalty, um, is what, uh, then, and I think that's, and I guess that's, that's what you would be preaching to mm -hmm. and, and modeling as a pastor too. I and mean, I think there's a way of modeling that in how you love them and serve them how you talk to them. Uh -huh. um, um, there's a lot of, um, I, I think, you know, pastors in preaching in particular, we, um, we have to learn not to talk at our people, but talk to them. Um, you know, we, we need to learn. Uh, there's a, you know, you can, there's a, I think that you want to preach well, uh, speak well, have, you know, um, uh, good rhetoric. But at the same time, the main job of the preacher is to just deliver the word of God to, to feed the people. Mm -hmm. So you need to love your people as a people too. And in the same way that a father is sort of the, the unity of the home, mm -hmm. um, the husband is the unity of the home, um, while speaking to each one of them and having relationships with each one, one of them, the pastor, the preaching pastor is, um, is the unity of a, of, a, of a church. Yeah. You're preaching to the church yeah um not just a bunch of scattered 
individuals. Right, uh, right. We who are many are one bread. Right. Um, so you're you're thinking about that um, and wanting to maintain that. You know, this is what you are. This is what God has has um, made you to be. He's He's done this work, and you're actually addressing that. There's a kind of um, we I mean, were so fragmented, and this church is so easily split, and everybody goes their own way. And it seems there's something baked into the way that we're actually preaching and talking to people that is fostering that kind of right. thing, rather than um, um, a sense of unity and being eager to it's maintain a, that. Yeah, it's a really unique thing, I, and I think we sort of—if you've grown up in the church—I don't think you realize, like, like if you're not being formed by the preaching of the word and worship of God's people on the Lord's day. I don't think we understand like how fragmented of a, of a people you end up being, which is why, you know, Christians who don't aren't part of a local church is like, you're, you're in huge danger. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not just like some kind of esoteric spiritual danger. It's like, you don't know who you are because you don't have a people. Mm -hmm. um, and then that it makes you, uh, you're, you're um, ripe for being taken advantage of and being manipulated by news and media and pop culture and so on mm -hmm. uh, one last thing on this just reminded me of um I, I read an essay not too long ago about the um the effect of um the presbyterian churches on um the war for independence so it was some, it's you know war for independence was called by the british crown by king george the presbyterian Re revolt and it was for a number of different reasons um uh, but in this this paper i was reading uh, the, the guy pointed out that um it's arguably the case that the primary um, unifying factor between all the colonies was the Presbyterian church because they were the only church that had presbyteries and then a general assembly every year throughout all the colonies. Remember all the colonies were separate colonies and very different cultures in many respects, but the Presbyterians had a, had a, um, a general council across all the colonies and they actually passed a resolution in 1775 calling for the independence of the colonies. And then it was in 1776, of course, that the Declaration of Independence was signed. Mm. But so there's, I mean, like political and social implications of thinking of yourself as an Arnian, mm -hmm. as thinking of yourself as a body, thinking of yourself as a people, um, uh, I think is actually probably quite a bigger than we think. Yeah. I was thinking of Edmund as you were talking, right? He just spins off. You, you, You've isolated yourself, and you're in danger of yeah. being led astray. The white witch yeah. can grab your ear, right? Um, yeah, and there's something quite there's something uh, quite magical about that. You know, even Edmund having visited Narnia and then denies it, like this whole yeah. I don't. Um, yeah. He he wasn't willing to obey, right? And wasn't going to know the doctrine. Wasn't going to experience the blessing that came with it, right? Um, fourth thing, fourth final thing, preaching like a Narnian. Um, just the joy of being an Narnian. I was, um, and the horse and his boy, I think there's a moment where Shasta sees the Narnians and one's whistling, their arms are hanging loose, you know, and it says, uh, they seem like a people that were, that were eager to be friendly with anybody, e eager to yeah. be friends with anybody oh, that yeah. was friendly. Yeah. When he first sees them in Tashman. Yeah. yeah it yeah. doesn't give a fig for anybody that's not. Yeah. Like, this is what they strike. <laughs> you know, they just, there's something, uh, there's freedom, there's liberty yeah. being portrayed in, yeah. in Lewis's um, portrayal of the Narnians. Yeah. And there's something about preaching like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, again, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm sitting, I'm, I'm sitting on the book of Acts. So I'll just bring out what I'm thinking there. But um, one of the key words um, in, in the book of Acts is um, the word parasia, um, uh, which is translated boldness 
or plainness of speech. Um, and, um, and that's, that's the word that's used to describe the, the, particularly the preaching that happens in the book of Acts. It's, it's full of this parasia. It's, it's just bold. Um, it's, but it's, it's not like necessarily loud friendly it's, but it's just plain, like just completely unhindered. It, it just, mm-hmm. just, and, and so you know who you are, you know, the way the world works, you know, that, um, Jesus died. He rose again. He's on the father's right hand. Your sins are forgiven. And like, and so, yeah, you're, 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 you've got this deep joy. All is well and all will be well. Um, uh, you know, because you know, the father, you know, the one who knows all things, owns all things, rules all things. You're not afraid. Um, and you, you're, you know, you know that these are people made in the image of God. And so, you know, they bear the image of the one you love. And so you love them naturally. And you don't really care whether, if they like you or not, because <laughs> you know the one that made them all. And you're, you're friends with the, you know, with the king. And so that, that kind of nobility, but it's a humble nobility. It's like, I'll, I'll hang out with anybody because you're made in the image of the king. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, if you're going to come at me, you know, I don't care. <laughs> I, I know the king. Yeah. It's like the truth is embodied. In it, I'm Peter, uh, Pentecost. No, yeah. they're not drunk. They're not yeah. drunk. Let me tell you, <laughs> it's you know, only the boom, third hour. Boom. They're not drunk. Yeah, you yeah. have that. Uh, and then, um, of course, the apostles Acts 16, Philippian yep. jailer. Yep. Right. Yep. Like, you just jail us up. Right. This yeah. this happens. Right. What is that? Not we told you. Like, it's not more. It's not a. Yeah. It's not a. It's not this kind of um, boldness that puts on airs. Yeah. And that no, it was like. Yeah. Um, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved in your house. Yeah. Like God did this, yeah. boom! And yeah. then in the wake of it, right. you're joyfully right. offering right. grace and life right. to people. No, yeah, no, it's it's confident, but it almost, but it's sort of just right below it. You, there's sort of a grin. You know, it, it's like mm-hmm. it's because it's good. It's so good. It's so good. It's such good news. And um, yeah, they're not drunk. In the same sermon in, at Pentecost, you know, uh, Peter says, you know. You know, in the in the Psalm in sixteen, it says, you know, that my, my you know my body will not see corruption. But let me tell you guys, David, David did. <laughs> he's seen some corruption. You know, like you just imagine, like a kind of a big grin on. What have face. we been thinking about that verse for the last for the last thousand years? It's got to it's got to be someone who didn't see corruption. <laughs> you know, but it's like yeah. he's confident, he's bold, and and again, there's a smirk on his face. It's it's it's, it's like it, he, like it's all connected for him. And he's, it's just all tumbling out. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, piles of joy, um, good humor. Again, not afraid of anything. Um, it, it almost, again, back, back to kind of the sort of adventure. You think of, you know, Paul getting hauled out of the mob in Jerusalem, going up the steps into the, into the you know, the, the fort or whatever. And he's like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> One more thing. <laughs> can, can, I, can, I, can I just say something really quick? And okay, This you know, will be fast. One, one more, you know. But like, just as... You know, audacity. Um, uh-huh. You know the. Um, I, I, you know, no, I want to. I want to appeal to Rome. I want to go. I want to go to Rome. Um, you know, but like um, that. That it's again a bold confidence, and I, and I think that you know that also translates. So it translates, I think, in your in the style of your preaching, whatever you're talking about, just that bold, joyful confidence. Um, I think it also translates in in you know preaching, particularly into really hard things and difficult things. Um, Again, the the whole you know again just the story of Acts like one thing after another and and it's almost like you you they hit you know 
Stephen gets stoned, and you think, oh, what a downer. And, but, but Luke says, and they scattered, telling everyone the gospel. Like, mm-hmm. one, two, three, break. And, like, oh, J- Jesus overrules stoning. And Paul's bre- breathing threats. Jesus interrupts him. Um, there's a warrant out for his arrest. They let him down, you know, out the basket in the middle of the night, and he's out. You know, he's gone. He's mm-hmm. on, you know, uh, on the run. And and uh, Peter gets a prison break, and and now he's he's gone. We never see him again in the book of Acts. And um, and so just like again, that the notion that um, that God works all things together for good for those who love Him, like is embodied in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. And so again, I think that's part of the joy. Part of the joy is. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing. That means everything serves him. Everything. My job is to obey. And then whatever happens, Jesus is going to use that to further his glory, his kingdom. Right. And I, either I win or I win. Like, so yeah. it, it's like, you know, what do I have to lose? But I'll also say, you know, you, you guys are going to have to do what you have to do, but we have to obey God yeah. rather than man. Yeah. It's like that is it, in Peter's, uh, Peter at Pentecost. That is so clearly post-resurrection preaching. Yeah. Like post-resurrection preaching whistles. Right. And, yeah. and right. this is right. new covenant preaching. Right. There's something. I mean, um, if, you, if you kill me, I'm, I'm, I'm coming back. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. My, my Lord came back, so I'm coming back too. Right. I believe in the resurrection of the body. And then, and then in your congregation, is this situation really bad? Like, you know it, they know it. There's a counseling session that's just gone awry. <clears throat> is it really bad? Yes. But if Jesus rose from the dead. Right. He can raise this. Yep. This can be. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So we we walk by faith, not by sight. And we, but we, but we've seen even more uh, than the Old Testament saints, and we know. Oh, this like our God is great. Our God is good. He is kind. He is gracious, and He turns everything, whatever evil is intended, He turns to good. He'll do it now. He'll do it later, and whatever it is, it's going to be the best story ever. Amen. Toby, thank you so much for joining me for Preach Like a Narnian. It's been great. Thanks for having me, man. The American family is in a bad way. That's a point that really doesn't need proving. But we do need an improvement plan. I wrote the case for the Christian family with the aim of providing such a plan. It commends a recovery of the covenant household, and it is available for purchase at canonpress.com. Mm-hmm.